for me, that emotional connection and that um, that ability to have a long-term relationship with your customer was what what made me say, even though the restaurant business is hard and the first thing anybody who's in it tells people who aren't in it is don't get in it. Um, you know, I had this ex- experience with it. And for me, you know, there's a I, growing up in the movie theater business and the hotel business and the big boy restaurants. I, we always had these businesses that had emotional connections to the customer. So the idea of selling widgets was something that would be very hard for me to do. And I love that. So I, I'd rather make a little less money and have something that people say, oh, my God, we went to Onesto this weekend. It was amazing. I mean, that that feeling of so, of sharing that moment with people is is the reason that I'm, I decided that I really wanted to spend a portion of what I, my business world in the restaurant space. Hello, and welcome to Food Crush, the On Milwaukee podcast for people who eat. As always, I am your co-host, Matt Miller, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Lori Frederick. How are you doing today, Lori? I'm doing great today. Oh, no, it's, a good, it's a good Monday. It feels nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pre-Oscars. Uh, I mean, you're listening to this post-Oscars, but yes. it's pre-Oscar nominations. So I'm very excited about that. So, so that's why I'm I am all a, tw- a Twitter, all a, a Twitter. tingle, yeah. literally. I yes. made soup this last weekend, Lori. Oh yeah, what kind of soup? I think it you was told ca- me this, but tell it everybody. Was Caldo <laughs> Verde. Uh, nice. It was a delicious soup. Knocked it out of the park. No one got food poisoning. Uh, it was a very successful night of cooking for me. And it wasn't really that hard. So it's the kind of dish I'm probably going to make a lot more. So can't wait for yes. my fiance to tell me that she's annoyed that she eats that dish every other day. So, no. You like soup and soup is easy. Of, soup um, rules. Of all of the things that you can make. I think soup is... Because it is just a lot of dicing, really. A it's a lot yeah. of, like, dicing and cutting, and then you just put it and into waiting. a pot and let it go. Yeah. yeah. And then you just wait. And I can wait. And taste I can do a that. couple of times. Yeah. Uh, so, unnecessary. Tasting that's, is unnecessary. That is awesome. <laughs> so, we're here with someone who, um, I wouldn't... Well... It's, it's in the Who food speaks world. fluid food? Yeah, <laughs> speaks fluid, speaks food. fluid exactly. food. Exactly. So, so let me let me introduce you. Today we are here with David Marcus. Uh, he's the CEO of Marcus Investment Group, um, which is also the parent company of a brand new restaurant group, or a renamed restaurant group, Benson's Restaurant Group, which was formerly Hospitality Democracy. So. Um, I'm excited because they have a lot of cool stuff going on at this point, and so welcome. Thank you for joining and, us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is <laughs> It is optimal soup season right now. It is, it is. gross mm-hmm. out. It is, we were just talking yeah. about cold weather before, before we popped on. It's, uh, it is... Mm-hmm. I yes. agree, and that's the podcast. We're just gonna we're just gonna talk about how much we love soup for the next uh, however we many could. hours. We could, we, we could. could for sure. Yes, this yeah. is true. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's yeah. talk about that. How did you get into food? 
Well, I really had no choice. My dad said, get in the car, we're going to big boys. I, uh, I mean, I really, I grew up, you know, I grew up really a very fun exposure to, to restaurants and food because we were big boys as a kid. Mm-hmm. I, we'd go on, you know, we'd go a lot. But I remember going on Sundays because we'd go as the, fam- as the whole family and we would sit on those orange benches. If anyone had been there, yes. the waiting areas yes. had all these orange benches and We'd sit there and wait and wait, and, I, and the place was always packed. And I, I was a young kid. I didn't quite appreciate the significance of that in terms of what an, what an amazing business it was, but just really the fanatical following. Um, yeah. And for me, that was my introduction into food is, you know, going to these restaurants and really involved in the operations. My dad and my grandfather were famous for carrying notepads with them, little note cards. And usually somewhere along the meal, they were up out, out of the t- off the table and they were on their way into the kitchen to deal with something that they didn't thought could be improved, let's just say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I really spent my youth going in and out of big boy restaurants. And ultimately, as a, as a teen, I worked at the big boy commissary on State Street down in, uh, down in Wauwatosa. And we, I mean, we made all the bakery and dressings and, I mean, there was so much stuff that was made for big boys and uh, KFCs, Kentucky Fried Chickens Mm -hmm. uh, at the time. Uh, So we were, were, they were producing a lot of food out of that location for the different restaurants. Yeah, yeah. Where was that commissary? It was right on State Street, just uh, a little bit east of the sort of center of Wauwatosa. Okay. So right on State Street between between the so center kind of, of Wauwatosa and Sasses. Exactly, yeah. it was on that industrial corridor. Exactly. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, that's interesting. I wonder what that is now. You know, know it was. Uh, so we we have a laundry service that we that we run and mm-hmm. uh, for the hotels mm-hmm. on the public side, and so there's a laundry service there, and so they, I mean, and it's gotten developed with housing and a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. Yeah, that whole area has changed quite a bit. But there was a time, actually, when uh, in the latter days of Big Boys, when you could drive by, and it was a pretty big uh, uh, spot, in addition to the interior area, they would store all the old Big Boy statues. And so it kind of looked like oh. this uh, wa- this wasteland of Big Boy statues. <laughs> and, and to me, you know, it's, it's always, it's interesting, because I always felt like it was the, you know, there's such a love of the brand. Of Big Boy, mm-hmm. even this many years mm-hmm. later, and even though the system is so messed up that they really haven't been able to to figure out who they're going to be going forward in a uniform uh, way, uh, you know. So the, if you look back, I mean, it's I, I'll give you a little of the the history. The so Big Boy restaurants were franchised, and you'd have your your name on it. So we were Mark's Big Boys, and there was Frisch's and Shoney's and Bob's, yeah. and they were all run very differently because it was before the days of really strong franchise systems. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, so for example, when the Big Boy, which was their main driving product, uh, when McDonald's came along, they knocked off the Big Boy and with the Big Mac. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't appreciate when I was a kid. Wow, yes. it's pretty obvious. Um, yeah. But they served it in an environment where, with the world changing in a in a quick service environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and back at that time, they also served uh, chicken that was sold to them by a gentleman who came around to independent restaurants and said, "Hey, I've got this great chicken. If you sell it, you pay me a nickel of chicken. People are gonna love it." So they we they did. My grandfather did that, and that was Kentucky Fried Chicken. And so in Big Boys for a lot of years, Kentucky Fried Chicken was a product that was sold on the menu. Mm-hmm. 
and then oh, it was so I successful. Didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, so successful that it spun out mm-hmm. on its own, and and then we ended up becoming opening standalone Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so where were you guys in terms of when Big Boy sort of came about as a concept? How okay. um, how early were you guys in on that? I mean, very early. So. My, my grandfather, way back in the 50s, uh, mm-hmm. when movie theaters, when TV was coming along, everything was going to be the next thing that might threaten the movie theater business. So my grandfather... <laughs> and nothing has changed. <laughs> nothing has changed, and it keeps, you know, it keeps trying along. And, and I'll tell you, it's, it's nice to see with uh, Spider-Man, it was after a couple of years of not, you know, not really serving up any new movies, having Spider-Man uh, be released and not being able to see empty seats at the theaters was really nice. It showed that people really want to get out. They're looking to be social, go out and experience a movie in that unique environment with people around them sharing those mm-hmm. same sort of feelings and emotions and just disconnecting with this world where we're all like all holding cell phones all the time. You know, it's, it's a really, it showed that there really is a strong demand for it. So that's, that was really nice to see. Uh, but so back in the 50s, uh, my grandfather had an idea uh, that he and his, one of his business partners were going to pitch Walt Disney uh, on the idea of letting uh, letting him franchise Disneyland, which was only out in California at the time. So they went out to California. They had a meeting uh, with the Disney team, and they said, hey, you know, we have this idea. We'd love to franchise your concept that you have in California, and uh, we won't do it anywhere near you. Uh, we'd, lo- we'd do it somewhere like Florida, for example. And they said, well, thanks, but no thanks. And they were <laughs> probably already amassing land in Florida to do Disney World. Uh, so he had the right idea. But after they left that meeting, uh, they went downstairs and they were, out, they were in L.A. And they went for a re- just to kind of lick their chops at a place called Big Boy, Bob's Big Boys. And it, so they were there. There was a line around the block. And they said, this look, my grandfather said, this looks like a good business. So mm-hmm. he, uh, he and his partner, Gene Kilberg, uh, licensed the rights to four states uh, while they were out there because Big Boy was brand new. So they were really in it from the beginning. And they ran it and grew it successfully for many years uh, yeah. and grew it into a whole restaurant division uh, within the Marcus Corporation. Yeah, and you guys had had a good chunk of the Midwest then, because you had Wisconsin yeah. and Minnesota, um, Iowa, Iowa, Indiana. Is that the I think Indiana? Yeah. That one, yeah. yeah. Um, and the, and that sort of grew. I mean, you talk about how KFC sort of branched out of that, um, but you guys also then had like Captain Steak Joint, which Captain Steak I Joint. still remember. Um, that place is just every <laughs> every year. Molly's article talking about where or how you can concoct something similar to and their. That, to the cheese sauce. Fa- the fondue. That, the that fondue. fondue. That fondue sauce. I have that recipe. I can share that with you. Yeah. That fondue cheese sauce was so good with those Melba chips. So yes. good. Yes. Every time that article, every year that article blows up again because people still are haunted by that sauce and need yes. it back yeah. in their lives. Well, and, and, actually, we're in, I mean, and we're in Wisconsin. So, you know, cheese. Cheese. There we go. It's funny. Now, like, you know, that restaurant violated every rule. It was a... Uh, it was a steak joint with a seafood-themed, you know, interior and sort of design. <laughs> there were no windows in the place. Uh, it was, you know, and it, it just, but it had a cult fo- that had a cult following too. And really, it's mm-hmm. that that's really the this I would say at the core of 
you know, why I'm in the food business and why I'm, why I love restaurants. It's that emotional connection people have with food. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and people do, and it doesn't, you know, I mean, that goes, that goes back to forever, I think, you know, and I yeah. think it, it comes down to, you know, everybody, everybody needs to eat. And I think, I think when the modern restaurant came around, you know, there was a, um, there was such a specialness about being able to go somewhere and, you know, and get hospitality, you know, and get, get an experience, you know, along with the food that you needed to eat anyway. Um, and, and that's evolved too. I mean, <laughs> if you look at it, it was very mom and pop driven businesses early on, very organic expressions mm-hmm. of this sort of professional food service. Then it becomes, and, and then it becomes a scaled experience where the corporate, the corporate world gets involved and you, you have consistency, but not necessarily greatness, but there's value in consistency too, you know, in in certain environments and in certain opportunities, you know, like, I remember when I was a, I, I was in college and I went backpacking in Europe and I, I was happy to see a McDonald's uh, <laughs> at the time. Now my kids won't even touch, won't go into a McDonald's. I haven't had it in years. Yeah. I'm sad they told me how bad it was for me, but because those French fries, I used to love them. But yeah, I mean, so it, it's interesting to see how professionalized and the offerings. And I think Milwaukee's a, in a very unique place because. Milwaukee being underserved by nationals historically as a market mm-hmm. just that people aren't racing to, I think we've been huge beneficiaries of what's evolved from that. So if you, you know, I think back to my youth, it was like the English Room, Grenadiers, and Carl Rosh's. Those were, you know, three of the places you'd go for a nice meal. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, the, the national world comes and they don't really serve Milwaukee. And so you have this evolution of Bartolotta's, which I think really was the in my mind, one of the first real strong, independent, professionally run restaurant groups. And it's on so many. Yeah, I think you're... Yeah, you're absolutely. Oh, sorry, sorry. And, the, and really the foundation kind of of, of what Huge. happened with the modern scene. You know, everything was kind of European continental food. And then we got to, you know, Bartolatus came around and suddenly there was a new type of, of fine dining to look at. And then... You know, well, Sandy make, D'Amato came back and it was it like, makes sense. This is pretty cool. so much to me. Uh, like how defensive Milwaukee gets about kind of their institutions, and how defensive Milwaukee gets about you know about national chains, which makes sense now in kind of retrospect, looking back at you, you know you're talking about how the national chains traditionally haven't have have been late to embrace Milwaukee. And I think there is a, like a, a resentment in Milwaukee that grew and calcified into this like pride of what we have where it's like okay, you can have your like chain restaurants on some level, but we have, you know, our local chains and that's they're ours and they know us and they're not some outsiders. I think that's I think that's that's interesting. I think that kind of makes m- makes sense with the psychology of Milwaukee and Wisconsin. Yeah, I agree. And look, there's a I think, you know, the restaurant tours dilemma if they want to grow is quality versus consistency and you have to build systems in place to maintain consistency, but at every step of the way you're making a choice about quality and f- and walking that fine line to make sure you're serving something that's great that is also consistent if you have more than one location. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and well, and that's absolutely the key because once you have multiple locations, you know, people know, people expect, know what to expect, 
and nine times out of ten, you know, yeah. when they're going to the second or third location. Um, and and the advantage I think for people and chains is um, this idea that they know what to expect. Yeah, and if you're not giving them that, it's it's you know it. And going back to what you said sense. earlier, it's that it's that historical emotional connection to food, mm-hmm. and then you add that layer in of okay, well, I have this emotional connection to this product. I don't care that I went to a different location. I want to get the mm-hmm. same feeling. I want it to taste the same. I want it to give me the same visceral response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you're seeing that kind of come around now. You know, as as Big Boy has come back to Wisconsin, you know, under Absolutely. new and different ownership. Yep. And and A, there's a lot of years in between us today <laughs> and the last yeah. Big Boy in Wisconsin. Yeah. And yeah. at least enough years where that nostalgia has, I believe, you know, sort of, you know, it mutates a little bit. You know, it's sort of well, like I, I think your absolutely. memories of things are so much more, you know, bright and shiny, you know, than what they actually were. I think you and I talked about this when a couple of summers ago, um, a few mm-hmm. summers ago, maybe even when the AJ Bombers did the did tribute the burger. Yep. And we talked about how in the age of big boy, that quality, the quality of the meat was vastly different. You know, it like a fro- it's it was a way frozen better patty. now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But people still have, you know, people will eat that burger and say, no, no, it's not what I remember. Well, it's it's funny because it's probably better <laughs> than what you... Well, well, it's like the, the cops buns controversy of three or four years sure. ago when cops changed their buns and people were in an uproar about it. And it was like, well, they're, they're locally made better buns, but they're not, they're not the, the kind of squishy traditional buns that people expected. So as a result, they yeah. were wrong. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, they got hit by a supply chain issue that a bunch of restaurants got hit by. Yeah. So that Miller too. Bakery... Miller Bakery was the was the purveyor that provided a lot of the a lot of buns for a lot of places in town, mm-hmm. and they had such success with Pretzilla that they stopped being Miller Bakery. They stopped servicing those the restaurant customers, and mm-hmm. so cops really knowing Carl as well as I do, and he, I just he is the operator's operator. He is the gold standard, if you will. Uh, that he would never have changed that if he didn't if he had a choice. Yeah. yeah, it was it was such a silly, such a silly, you know, I know I know the mantra is always the customer is always correct, but sometimes the customer is yeah. less correct than other times. Yeah. <laughs> if they hadn't been in there the day before and tried it and they tried it, and they still loved it, then they wouldn't have cared. But it is about expectations. And that's a it is a powerful thing. And it's the, when we did the big boy tribute burger uh, at AJ Bombers, it was people loved it, but it was. They compare. It was the people who came in looking for that exact comparison to their memory of it, mm-hmm. and you know, it's like at at St. Kate, we also do the the uh, the tribute burger there, and that's a much bigger burger because the price they're charging it needs to be bigger, and people love that. But it's if you, it's just not the same size as the original. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's well, like comparing chicken noodle soup to your grandmother's chicken noodle soup. It's always, no matter what, it's always going to come in second place to your grandmother's, even though it may be better ingredients. Maybe it's just that that sense memory will always choose. The one you but now that I know with. you're the soup whisperer, Matt, I bet you can. I bet you can. <laughs> yeah, 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 I wish. I wish. Yeah. Well, and and I do think that that in some respects you can give someone exactly the same thing, and when years have have been in between that last experience, you're not with the people that you were with. You're not sitting on that orange bench. 
<laughs> you know, waiting for your no, that's food. Right. That uh, everything changes a little bit, and you know. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like when you have that like meal at a restaurant and you're like, wow, that's the best thing I ever had. And then you go back to the restaurant and it may be the exact same dish uh, that you order and it's prepared the exact same way. Nothing's different about it, but it's just, it doesn't have maybe that discovery factor that made it yeah. that much more exciting to you. It's, I, I do not uh, begrudge, <laughs> I, I, I do not envy anyone in the food industry because you have to like compete with that. You have to compete with memories. You have to compete with expectations you have to compete with you know what the person's day was like because that it can gets, alter how they people it's actually it's a punishment for the operator because you get so if, if you've been in this business long enough it becomes a part of who you are so i will i can tell when a recipe isn't exactly the same way or if something is a little mm-hmm. off and i'll say it you know i can tell everyone's looking at me like it's the same day but i'm like no <laughs> it doesn't have this, and sure enough, usually I'm right because I've tasted an item so many times. As anyone who's you know in the spaces who's engaged with their restaurants, they they're very familiar, and and those little details are what draw you know they they're what make the difference. If you, if you can't be great every day, this business is very unforgiving. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. When when did you know? Um, you know, there's sometimes a family obligation you know, to, to yeah. carrying on a, a business. Um, and maybe there's, maybe there's a little bit of that. But, <laughs> but when did you realize, like, that this was yeah. what you wanted to do? And what was it? Yeah. Can, can you point to something? I can. Yeah. There are a couple things. I mean, it, it was a combination of things. So I got out of undergrad, and I was a business major and undergraduate. And I moved from to Chicago. From I had gone to school out in Boston. And I, so I moved to Chicago. And I was going to go back to grad school, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And so while I was there, I had to be working and uh, earning some money. So I got a job as a bartender server for Let Us Entertain You uh, for Hat Dance. It was a restaurant down in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And it was my first real introduction to working in a restaurant as opposed to being the child of a family who owned restaurants. And it's 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 a different experience. Um, but I loved it. And in fact, I would say to this day, it was my favorite job I've ever had. I'm not one to go out to a bar to meet people. I don't, you know, I don't want to talk to strangers and put on a, a game of who I am. I'm generally trying to hide who I am, frankly, just so people don't have an expectation. Um, but I, uh, I loved bartending. I would, could socialize. I worked hard. There was sort of physical tasks that you had to manage and try and be really good at how you how the routine of them went. Um, there was human engagement, and you at the end of the night you'd walk away with a pocket full of cash, and then you'd go out with this with everybody from the restaurant, and it was just a, a it fulfilled me personally in a lot of ways. Although I couldn't see myself being a bartender forever, um, I, I I really loved the business, and uh, and so I you know. Working for Lettuce gave me a, a window into really. I, I didn't. I didn't do it for that reason, but it gave me a window into a really well-run restaurant operation. And I think when I say that, what makes it amazing is if you look, you know, n- none of their restaurants are the same. Yeah, you know, they may have some that they've replicated, but by and large, they've got dozens and dozens and dozens of different concepts, all run on the same operational principles of using par levels and. Uh, heavy, you know, really heavy emphasis on training and taking care of your associates so that they are really a culture of food. And there's 
no restaurant you'd go into in their system and find a server who hadn't tried an item. So if you were to say, hey, how is the, how is the chicken? They wouldn't say, oh, I hear it's good. Yeah, or, or the know. most popular item. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, and, yeah, and those are the kinds of things. If you're in the business, when you hear them, they're triggers for you, mm-hmm. and and uh, and you realize, you know, this is someone who doesn't doesn't understand the food in their own restaurant, and so understanding all of these principles of of you know really doing the 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 prep work, you know, leading into your evening and making sure that your systems are in place to understand what your demand is going to be, because there's nothing you know you can't recover when you have high demand, which is what you want, and you're not prepped properly, and you have to start prepping during the night, during service for for that evening. You know, that's just, you're, you're never going to recover from that. Uh, so it really gave me this this window into, it's not about what, the, what food they're serving specifically, what type of food. It is about the systems that underlie it that are really the key. And so I mean, I spent two weeks training before I ever got to practice, even, you know, spend time on the floor uh, practicing. I really understood every part of the menu, how, how the kitchen worked, how things were made, how they were marinated overnight in the systems for, for the, you know, this is Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, so that they're, they, it was just very organized chaos, if you will, you know, because the restaurant business is chaotic. Also, no, matter, but, no matter what. But it really was, you know, I, I grew a love for it, but I didn't leave there thinking, okay, I'm going to be in the restaurant business. I went back to grad school uh, further. I got an MBA of a focus in uh, real estate. And out of grad school, I had an opportunity to take a job in Florida. And it was uh, selling hotel systems. And so I said, you know what, I'll go down there. Uh, if I'm not happy, I'll come back in three months and I'll try it and see what happens. And I got, I've, I've landed in August, it was 100 degrees, 100% humidity, and tears started streaming <laughs> down my face. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know anybody, what am I doing in Florida? Uh, but I wasn't, and I, I, I started, you know, so I was in tech. And then and from there, I started a company like Exec PC where we sold uh, internet access. And uh, and we started building websites. And, and I, there was a lot I loved about it. And in fact, uh I had the opportunity while I was de- while I was doing that to go on someone's radio show to promote internet access because at the time people didn't in the early <laughs> in the mid nineties right. people didn't even know what it was. So uh, we I went on this show and they said, "Boy, you're talking about the technology. You're it's fun. You know the, the new things you're talking about. Will you do your own show?" So I ended up doing a, uh, a radio show every Saturday about technology and it helped promote the business and it was a lot of fun and it was sort of a sarcastic look at technology and we featured you know all this cool stuff and so bite me radio went on for three years and i loved it but at the end of the day the phone companies started selling internet access and the way i describe it is it's like playing basketball with your older sibling when you're six and they're nine you can't beat them you can't figure out why but it's just not a fair fight so the phone companies were selling access bundled with phones and and I tell that story because it's this is to the point of why why the restaurant business now why is that a big emphasis of what I'm doing? Well, we at the early days you we provided tons of support. You know, it, you had to use trumpet windsock. You had to know how to use. You basically had to be taught how to use your computer, and we did that, and we were better, and we grew, and 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 we were successful at it. But we couldn't maintain our relationship with our customer because we were selling a homogeneous product, and for me. My memory of the restaurant business, as I was saying with Big Boy, but, you know, when I think of, like, the, the gold standard for me is cops and Elsa's. You know, you, you can open a McDonald's across the street from, you know, and I look at it. So we had we had the Big Boy on Port Road. McDonald's opens across the street. Big Boy ultimately never really figures out who they're going to be again. 
And McDonald's is successful because, as you said, you know, there was this premium back then in consistency and sort of corporate evolution. Sure. And, 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 that's then, fat, and that quick, you know, kind of drive-through quick, style. Yeah. Just qu- everything oh, was yeah. quicker and nobody, yeah, I think everybody oh, was Oh, and their thrown, fries were amazing. And if you, didn't, yeah. if you weren't married to a Big Boy Burger, the Big Mac was delicious. It was it was great. And I, I mean, I was a big fan of it. It probably drove my dad crazy because I love McDonald's. <laughs> you know, it's like, so, so the, uh, for me, so I, you know, like, I, my feeling was, you know, so now you've got cops and McDonald's opens across the street and nobody cares. They'll spend a few cents more for a cop's burger and custard instead of getting a McDonald's burger and, you know, frozen ice milk all day long. They don't care. And they don't care about the price difference. And so for yeah. me, that emotional connection and that um, that ability to have a long term relationship with your customer was what what made me say. Even though the restaurant business is hard, and the first thing anybody who's in it tells people who aren't in it is don't get in it. Um, you know, I had this ex- experience with it, and for me, you know, there's a uh, growing up in the movie theater business and the hotel business and the big boy restaurants. I, we always had these businesses that had emotional connections to the customer. So the idea of selling widgets was something that would be very hard for me to do. And I love that. So I, I'd rather make a little less money and have something that people say, oh my God, we went to Onesta this weekend. It was amazing. I mean, that that feeling of so, of sharing that moment with people is is the reason that I'm, I decided that I really wanted to spend a portion of what I, my business world in the restaurant space. Well, and you need that because as we were talking about, you know, it's such a cruel and unforgiving business that you need to have that passion for just straight up serving people and hopefully giving people an experience. Because if if you're in it for something beyond that, if you're in it for some celebrity or, you know, an ego thing, like you're gonna you're gonna have a you, terrible you time. Or, yeah, you may or may not have fulfillment. On yeah, that, you, on will, that yeah. you will bomb, you will yeah. bomb out quickly and and loudly. <laughs> yeah, oh no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, no, it's it's you know, it was already a tough business before the pandemic. And I will say the the first, I know we've talked about this, Lori, but the first two weeks of the pandemic were the worst two weeks of my whole business career. Um it just the idea of, you know, I, I I'm grateful for the PPP money because we were probably four days away from letting two hundred plus people go. Mm-hmm. And to me the whole this whole business is about the people. It's about you know the associates loving to loving being here. It doesn't mean they want to be here forever, but it means they love the idea of the same things I love: the interaction with people, being able to put po- cash in your pocket every night, um, mm-hmm. and 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 having the ability and flexibility to be able to you know like there aren't many jobs where you can go and work and and have money in your pocket immediately, um, right. and do things you know that really test your physical you know, your physical requirements and your mental engagement. Well, I'm sure the hardest part too was that, you know, when you get into the business, you know all the risks. Like, you know, you know, you could go out of business. There could be flooding. Like, no one, no business school, I imagine, ever prepared anyone for a global pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) That was not on like the list of potential outcomes or potential issues to come upon. So there's, it's flying without a shoe, you know, it's, it's falling from the sky and being like, oh, Mm -hmm. so what, what do, what do we do now? Like no one has trained me for pandemic. I come from a very conservative family. We are, you know, we're just, we're just very conservative. And my uh, my brother Greg's a lawyer, and we spend a lot of our time in our businesses talking about mitigating risk. 
and and being prepared for risk. And we don't, you know, if you look at our balance sheet at our public, at Marcus Corp, uh, it was a very low leverage. And thankfully it is because, we, like you said, who could have imagined you'd be basically closed for almost two years? You know, that's, it's a, you know, that's a, that's as tough as the restaurant business was. The great thing about the restaurant business, once the PPP money happened, if you had a, if you had a committed organization and a committed team, you found ways to be relevant, whether it was doing Onesto Pacino or doing a lot, you know, really finding fish fry at, at Smoke Shack. We never did fish fries on Fridays, but it was really something that suited well for to-go and for pickup. Right. And so we launched that and we had huge success with it. And it's something we never would have done. Well, you can't do that in the movie theater business when there's no product coming. You could yeah. have caramel corn, but nobody cares. <laughs> well, and the, I, I did say the Majestic, uh, I liked how they did the pop-up drive-in movie theater, which I think was a, a very smart pivot um, when when that was going. But yeah, it's not like you can, you can't... You can't take a, you can't give everyone a giant screen and a recliner. Much, much more like, difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. say enjoy enjoy the, Avengers. The, the carry out the carry out movie, you know. And, yeah. You know, and I think yes. the to me the, the the greatest gift for the team was that because you had things to work on, even though we weren't making any money during twenty twenty, uh, we were able to get to break even and but have um have tasks and challenges in our, you know, that we could come into every day. And to me, I, it's like the four wall strategy. As, as the world was sideways over the last couple of years, I've spent a lot of days cherishing the idea that I could get up, come to a place and make a difference within the four walls that I could control. Because I feel like the last you know, couple of years have been, whether it's the pandemic or the political divide or the, all the, just everything, there's a there's sort of a lack of sense of control over things and the ability to be in an environment where you could just make a difference, whether it was open a pop-up. Right. Do, yeah. You know, right? We did uh, you know, Chris Adams and Alex Sasman and Maddie uh, Wood really spent a lot of time working to do things like the pop-up in Oak Creek that we did with Valentine, with Valentine yeah. Coffee with Valentine Coffee. And we served each not each uh, week we would feature a different restaurant and we would do to-go's out of there. And I mean we were staging barbecue and, and Italian and yeah, and we, it just, and, and those are things that we wouldn't have done. And they, I think they fed our soul more than they, you know, than they made a difference in the pocketbook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and you brought, you brought things that weren't necessarily common into an area, you know, made people happy, you know, people, I think yeah. people at that point too, were really, really looking for like, ugh, what is exciting about today? <laughs> You know, and yeah. sometimes that was just like, oh, something different for dinner. Um, you know, so yeah, so that 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 went a lot of different ways. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so let's kind of talk about this because you guys made so you guys made the transition very recently from yep. a hospitality democracy, at least as a name, um, yep. to Benson's Restaurant Group. You yeah. want to talk a little bit about that because that that name isn't just a name, you know, no. there's a meaning behind it. Um, and I don't, and I don't think it, it looks back on and disregards hospitality and democracy, you know, which no. is a long held brand. Um, but definitely, you know, adds more to it. So what's your, what's kind yeah. of the story behind that? Yeah. So as, as our discussion sort of lays out, I've been, emotionally connected to the restaurant business for a long time. Uh, but as someone running uh, 
multiple businesses who have operators in those businesses, allowing them to drive what they're doing and the identity and the choices is important to me. I feel like that's as a, as a manager of managers, to me, that's my job is not to micromanage them and tell them what to do. Uh, and so back when we partnered with Joe and Angie, uh, I think around 2010 um, or 2012, I think around, we, uh, we formed Hospitality Democracy. And the idea behind that at the time was that uh, Joe and Angie's restaurants, AJ Bombers in particular, were driven by uh, crowdsourcing ideas. And sure. so we, you know, uh, we would get groups of, of uh, customers together to say, what, bur- what should be on a burger? And so, for example, the, the Berry Burger was born from Kate Berry. And, uh, and, and, and tweet ups, like and tweet the, ups. the presence on oh. Twitter and people, I mean, that seems ridiculous and forever ago now, but, um, yeah, tweet ups. Like, and at the time the lent itself to that, that dialogue where the world, the online world has changed where, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little less engaged that way. And, and so over time, really, we really weren't doing much crowdsourcing and hospitality democracy it, it, over time didn't quite fit, but it was our brand. And so I and it, hate to change a brand. But so now here we are, we're, you know, a bunch of years later, Joe and Angie haven't been in the business for a while. And I've become much more involved in our businesses um, from a philosophical standpoint and, you know, helping make choices about the direction we're going to go and involved in different items in the different restaurants and food. So, for example, uh, Blue Bat. Blue Bat originally was was done right around the time that Joe and Angie left. And we had had a restaurant called Jayagave. We had a concept called Jayagave Tacos and Tequila. Ah, And we did that out at the stadium before we actually opened Mm -hmm. a location. And and by the time we actually went to reconcept Water Buffalo, uh, we were still going to do Tacos and Tequila my concern was that we would be pigeonholed if we did that, that we would not be able to be able to pivot at all. We would be compared to, to your point of comparison. If you want to, you know, talk about comparison of a restaurant's item to another restaurant's item being the same. When you start getting into traditional foods, people have a very specific understanding of what they want that to be. So if you're considered a traditional Mexican restaurant, they're going to expect certain things and it leaves you with a lack of flexibility. So we really kept the, the tequila idea, but incorporated this idea of world street food. Uh, and that's, so I mentioned that because that's something that pr- previously with Joni and I would not have, I would have not pressed on or engaged in. And, and so, you know, it's something we did and it's, it's something that's worked out well because we're able to feature flavors from all over the world and have a lot more flexibility in what we're doing in that restaurant has, you know, the success has panned out the decision. Um, but that's, you know, that's something where, you know, I'm, I'm more involved. So now we're, we got other projects coming and our feeling was that we wanted to pick a name that represented who we, our history in the business and had a little more warmth to it uh, from a hospitality standpoint. There's something that I feel like Benson's has, it's, there's something personal about it. Mm-hmm. It just, it, to me, that, Allows it to feel more warm. Um, so There's a name on well, it, yeah, yeah. And so, well, I, actually, I won't take credit for coming up with it because it actually was the name we named. My dad opened a restaurant in the Mark. What was the Mark Plaza at the time? 
Uh, and it was called, it was, uh, it was just a, one of the, there were three restaurants in that lower area where the Chop House and Miller Time Pub are. There was one that was straight back. It was, the, mm-hmm. it was like a cafe. And they called it Benson's because he was Ben's son. So, uh, yeah. And so that, you know, years later, when I told my dad we were going to do this, he said, well, you know, that's, that restaurant didn't succeed. I said, well, we're going to be more successful yeah. with this now anyway. So <laughs> it's, uh, so to me, it's a, you know, for me, it's a great feeling because, you know, I, I've, you know, I've grown up as you could, as I said, you know, you asked me how I got in the restaurant business. It's because I would hop in the car and we'd, whether it was a big boy site or a budget tell site or a captain steak joint or you name it, you know, our businesses are such an integral part of who we are as a family. Every Sunday night dinner, we talk about business. So for me to be able to do something that, that taps into that, that history, uh, you know, I, I think the thing that made me want to do it the most was that the team really wanted to do it. I was kind of, I kind of, you know, lean away from my family's brand a little bit just because of it's, you know, it's it's a it's got such big meaning. I don't want it to override what other people are doing, um, but they were all everybody wanted to do it, and so I said, you know what? And and the more I thought about it, it really. And now hearing people's reactions to it as people have reached out since the announcement, it's it's fun and it's such a people who worked at big boys and people who worked in the company. You know, said, God, it's so it's such a nice thing that that you, that that's the name you adopted, and yeah. so I mean, for me, it's just a gift. Yeah, well, and and that that adds a, a few levels to it, but but I did think I was like, oh, this is nice because it goes back to you know, it goes back to Ben, you know, and Ben was kind yeah. of the beginning of all of this, and then the son's piece, like I, that, could go on. You know, that is not that. There's not an end point. It sort of looks well. Tell my tell my three daughters that. <laughs> well, then there's that. Um, they, they get, yeah, yeah. It'll I mean, metaphor, metaphorically, no, right? Like it's, it's about family and moving forward and, and ben keeping kids doesn't going. quite have the same yes. ring to ben, it. Ben kids. <laughs> I won't. Bo- yeah. We had a whole bunch that we joked about that it could have been, but you know, mm-hmm. but uh, but honestly, the ability to my grandfather Ben was obviously a very important, meaningful figure in our lives, and you know, and. I I spent my life go you know really watching him do what he did and and you know he always he always said look it's it's about the people and the people are what makes this you know our businesses run and and the restaurant business in particular you know and I think this the last couple of years have demonstrated that and I think you know we've been very fortunate we we never you know except for those two weeks where it was just a forced shutdown we stayed open and restaurants that stayed open ended up being in a much better position because as the other, as everybody came out the other side, the ability to try and field a full team in a labor shortage, you know, market with a labor shortage would have been a very challenging thing. And instead we had, you know, we had basically complete teams and we certainly felt it around the edges. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, having a 401k, having healthcare, vacation days, we were already in a better position than most. Now we're fortunate. We, you know, I feel for mom and pops, that runs single locations and have limited resources. I'm in a I'm in a different position than that. I've I understood because of my because of Ben and because of my dad Steve, you know, the importance of building a strong organization and having a strong accounting team and you know and doing the things that running a business that are that are a pain in the moment, but really are the things that make you successful and and protect you at the end of the day. And the example I give is really the PPP money and the grant money. And it's really a tale of two, you know, a tale of two cities for restaurants because you had uh, organized restaurant groups that were able to 
that they already had banking relationships and were able to, right. you know, uh, complete the PPP forms that sometimes took multiple rounds of, of, of submission and having to, and, you know, and relationships. I don't, I think those the banking relationships, relationships were, were really, the key. Were if the you key. didn't have a banking relationship, mm-hmm. you, you really had, you couldn't start one and you, and you really hadn't, that was, that was the jumping point for yeah. the filing was your bank. Right. So the, you know, I, you know, the, the businesses that went through that, the restaurants that went through that and were able to mm-hmm. be organized that way and had those relationships are in a much different position than, than yeah. restaurants that didn't have those relationships or completely shut down. Because if you completely shut down your ability to rehire a whole team, you know, and, and then location mattered a lot. Being in the third ward was very helpful. It was one of the few places in town that even though its activity was greatly curtailed, you had people around. Yeah, you have a residential commitment there. That yeah, yeah. And, yeah. You know the CBD people just didn't show up to offices, but people are still coming out, and you know, Ernesto Pacino people are still coming and getting coffee mm-hmm. and getting pastries mm-hmm. and and dining outside. Amazing, you know, the dining outside is a whole other thing that's been unleashed on the world, and I hope it. I hope that they find a way to keep a happy medium because I think it's an important part of what restaurants are doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so talk to us because you, you have even, you know, even in these, in these times, kind of as we're, as we're working our way through, you know, we're not quite, quite through this, this pandemicness yet. Um, But, you know, but the world doesn't stop either, you know, and there are, there are finally really things moving. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Things moving forward. And one of those things is you guys are putting a new restaurant in um, at the Harbor District River Campus. Um, And this is kind of an exciting, this development has been going on for a while. I think they probably had some delays, you know, related to this. Um, But how did that come around? What, what was interesting to you about that? Space. So, yeah, it's a look. It's a transformational project. What the Michaels uh, family and corporation invested in that location, the River One project, the office, the office building that was. So, if you look at before, it was the Horny Goat, and uh, it was one of the best volleyball, uh, recreational volleyball spots around. So, not exactly highest and best use for that, and and really great, you know, Friday bar drinking. Uh, but spot. but they made really good use of a kind of a weird industrial space that like uh, I don't know what did, else I mean, you would honestly, put there right you know people what they came did to, there to an was area. remarkable oh yeah. it was remarkable and they had huge success with that with the horny goat for you know mm-hmm. for just to your point it couldn't be more industrial and and couldn't be more you know first street was sort of just an abandoned street Beecher Beecher was not much better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Michael's Corp comes along and they invest in this spot and they build this beautiful office tower. They built a, th- a thousand spot parking lot that runs underneath the all of the buildings that are there. Uh, it's got apartments um, and it's got retail space and it sits on the river. And from running Blue Bat Kitchen and I guess having, you know, being close to being an empty nester and having more time, I've spent more time on the river and on the water and gained a real strong appreciation for how strong our, our river and water and boating communities are. Sure. Um, and seeing Milwaukee from a, from a boat, if anyone has not had the chance to do it, and I'm ashamed to say it took me to almost the age of 50 to actually see it, and I've lived here all my life, um, is remarkable. And, and the river community in terms of 
being able to stop at restaurants and take advantage of the river is growing, um, but limited. And so uh, this project, the Rinka is the designer on the, on the development, and we also use them to design the interiors of the restaurant. And they really understood the really cool, casual, comfortable vibe that we were trying to achieve, the sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, a sort of a California casual. So it's nice, but it's still comfortable no matter what you're doing, you know, no matter what you're coming there for. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, so we, uh, we, met with, we met with them two years, right before the pandemic, the fall before the pandemic. And we pitched them on the idea that, hey, you know, we really think we understand what will work here. Uh, most restaurant, you know, most restaurant groups are going to be hard pressed to make the kind of investment that we'll need to go here, given that it's, you know, it's this transformational project in a place where, you know, until until there's density, there's not density. Um, okay. But we believe we can create something that will that will be a destination and draw people, but will also be an asset for your development. Um, and it, it then goes back to what you know. For me, what the core of my philosophy is, which is that it's, you know, it's really all about the food and, and creating a menu of items that have this emotional connection. You know, Elsa's is a good example. You go in there and I don't care what item you get. You know, it's whether it's the pork chop variation number two uh, or the chicken wings or the burger. And it, by the way, it's not the same burger he serves at Cops because that's, you know, right. he, I, he probably didn't want the comparison factor. He just wanted it to be a great burger and a great house burger. And he took, I th- you know, knowing Carl, he took great pains to make sure every item was great. He doesn't just, hey, here's the menu, and we created a bunch of items, and we think they're all really good because the kitchen, you know, the team came up with them. You know, it t- it's, it's a painstaking effort to really um, scrutinize every item to make try and make every item the go-to item for that chicken or that steak or that burger um, so that someone has this emotional connection to it because that's what brings people back on a regular basis. And the goal is not to be a, you know, you won't find any of our restaurants being flash in the pan, sort of the hottest. They may be really, you know, popular in a moment, but they will be concepts that we think will stand the test of time. And at the core, the production method. So we've, you know, we're really picking out a very specific wood-fired cooking method to impart flavor on the proteins. And we think that, you know, driving that at the core in this cool environment and then taking care of all the details will really just create something that people will not only want to come to on a, on a regular basis. And then you add in the, uh, the, the river walk. So we're going to really have this amazingly cool vibe with, you know, fire, fire pit tables and, you know, activated sort of outdoor games. We've got a lot of space there. Um, so whether it's uh, bocce or lawn bowling, or we just oh, have wow. a lot of opportunities yeah. there to activate the space. And the space is very is indoor outdoor, so there's a lot of, you know, the bar is open to the inside and to the outside. So the vibe is going to be second to none. You know, I'd say hard pressed to find many places in Milwaukee that will that will have this kind of there there I can think of a couple that have this kind of environment but none of them on the river none of them with all of these elements in one spot and then the complex on top of it has a lot of opportunity for private event space so there's a huge main grass deck that's just massive up above and you know I could see you know David Caruso doing some pretty crazy amazing things there and then there's some you know there's some really cool uh, spaces because we're partners uh 
on the property with, with Michael's the uh, you know really it's it's about finding ways to maximize the opportunities to do F and B on that property. So they really have a you know a spot in there that's uh, glass ceiling to floor space that is just you know can really be you know uh, something that you take advantage of the view or something that you just can can really create a whole new environment internally. So. You know, our, and, our, and our feeling is that, you know, this menu that we're going to create will really round out our offerings within our restaurant group nicely. Nice. Nice. So yeah. no flash in the pan <laughs> concept. So that means I shouldn't pitch you, I shouldn't pitch you my cronut themed restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'd have, we could have a cronut, but it just wouldn't be the only item All on right. the menu. Uh, well, that yeah. pitch is getting thrown in the garbage yeah. bin yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The trick is the trick is something that can evolve, you know, where things yeah. are still, you know, salient for, you know, a long period of time. And and really, you know, I mean, I think people make that out to be much much harder um not to not to minimize it, but much much harder than it is. You know, it's about finding really good basic things, you know, that can be tweaked, you know. If you look, I mean, look, I mean if you look yeah. at most restaurant menus, they mostly do the same thing. <laughs> and if you look at, you know, they, and, and now there's some that are very focused, you know, there's a lot of the chicken concepts that are just doing chicken fingers now, or a burger place, you know, in and out just does burgers, you know, they're Vanguard, really famously sausage. I mean, I, yes. if you had told me I was going to love a, a sausage bar, I wouldn't have known. <laughs> I would have, I would have thought that. So my, my notion was that, uh, that most sausages really have similar flavor profiles, different levels of spice. You know, but but by and large, I, I didn't appreciate how if someone was doing it in a very crafted way, how they could create such unique flavors in their in their product. And so, I, I mean, to me, I love that. I loved what they've done there because I think it's just to your point. It's just they're really great, but yeah. it's very focused. Yeah, but but most menus, if you're if they're done, you know, they've got their they've got a set of appetizers, they've got a set of entrees. They're probably hitting certain categories because certain things are important to to sort of the the, order, the customers. Mm-hmm. But then it's people forget to try and make every item great, right? You know, it's like well, well that's famously the uh, the vegan or the the kind of the the vegetable problem at restaurants where you know there's always the, the you, there's always the veggie dish that always kind of seems like it got kind of three percent of the brain. There's not always that. But you can tell when a place actually like is paying that much attention. Yeah, I will say um, Angie, Angie Sword it was I, it was yeah. one of the things she did so well. Um, she always felt it was important to have that, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as a part of the menu, but not just as a part of the menu. She wanted it to be as great as everything else. Yeah, and you know, I, to me, that's you know, that's important. It's just you know, because someone who's going to order that wants it to be great. They're not like, oh, I can't have a burger. Can I have something average instead that's I could get because everyone else is getting something great? Yes. Well, so, that's that's why vegetarian food or vegan food got such a bad rap for so many years because it was a lot of it was stuff people were kind of like, oh, I guess I'll get. It. And it's just like, oh, it's it's not good because it's like, yeah, kind of half effort went into that. But now you're seeing more and more restaurants, you know, being like, no, this is this is even if it's not our focus, we want to make sure that like if it's on the menu, it, it should be good. We should put our our name behind it. Right, right. Well, and it and it's easy to throw butter or bacon on something 
you know, and make it taste and good. So you say that like an <laughs> insult, Lori. You say it like an insult. Honestly, that sounds outstanding. What I'm saying is like, like a, you could, it's really easy to do that. And so like, if, if a restaurant you know, had butter, but bacon, veggies, yeah. 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 butter but, bacon, veggies on the menu is a dish I'll eat. <laughs> you have, you also have, you have this world of trying to create vegetarian items that mimic the real world items, which in yeah. some ways is good and important and useful. Like the impossible burgers. You know, we, we feature some impossible meat menu items, both at bombers and at like blue bad kitchen. And, you know, it's, it's funny when you're doing it as a burger, People wanted to replicate the idea of what a burger is, so now you've got the comparison factor, mm-hmm. right. and 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 it's funny, and I and I find them to be I find them to be really good. If you and if I couldn't eat a burger, the idea of having something that would replicate that I think is great. I don't know. I hope I pray that they're actually good for you. I don't. You know, there's so much mystery <laughs> about what's in them, and yeah. you know, if they're from a health perspective, but I think from an ethical perspective, and probably if you can't eat red meat, that even if there's maybe fat or so, there's other things in it that may or may not be is good for you, that it might be better than the meat you're eating. So I think it's an important part of the, of the restaurant mix, but I think you're seeing, to your point, um, really successful efforts at vegetarian and alternative types of food that aren't trying to mimic right. what what the meat eating world has they're saying hey this is just own great item because there is that like there's there's the me audience who like loves me but like would be willing to try something that like you know approximates it in vegetarian version but there's also the audience out there who also is like listen i want vegetables like (laughs) treat the veggie like it's its own thing not like it has to pretend to be something else to be digestible there's there's so many audiences with so many different tastes and perspectives. Oh, when you fire roast vegetables, like I, I the uh, um, birch does a great job. Yes. You know, in fire roasting some vegetables. And to me, you know, when you have that ability with, an, with a cooking method that it can, can impart flavor, you don't need to pretend. You don't need to be complicated. Yeah. To your point earlier, Lori, that, you know, you can, it's not about being tricked up. Uh, you know, that's one thing I learned from being in the hotel business. Uh, you know, we always have amazing corporate chefs and they handle very complicated banquets and they handle the restaurants in the in the properties. But every time, so for example, the cafe at the Fister is a classic spot and people want their classic item. So every time a new chef comes in, they're like, well, the tuna fish is this way, but I have a much better recipe. And then the senator's like, wait a minute, why has my tuna changed? You know, <laughs> Senator Cole goes in there every day for a hundred years. You know, it's like he wants it to be a specific way. And, and so, you know, that it's, it's interesting and they want it to be not just tuna, but it's got to be the unconstructed tuna with this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, some people just want a Cobb salad or a chopped salad to be a specific thing or a Caesar to be specific Mm -hmm. or a wedge. When a wedge comes chopped and it's broken apart, you're like, well, that's, that's actually not a wedge, but okay. Um, (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) Well, that's why. you remember the Restaurant Impossible show back in the day. Like a lot of those places went out of business because they went in and like got rid of a bunch of dishes people liked or they, they renovated the dishes and then like the place went out of business. There, Yeah, all of our regulars came in wanting the stuff that they liked and we didn't make it anymore. We made it highfalutin. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, and then on top of food, the other key is service and and the, and the environment. You know, the environment, you can pay and have a great designer put together a great space. But, you know, the restaurant business is a grind. And if you don't build a, an organization that values the associates that are engaged in the process, you really, you'll, you'll never 
I don't think you'll ever really be successful for more than a moment in time because your your product is so heavily controlled by the tone that is set and the engagement with the servers. Yeah. I mean, it really, you know, if they're in a bad mood and they arrive in a bad mood, it'll, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you yeah. really see that. You really see that. I mean, we've been talking about kind of the juxtaposition between large and small operations. And you, you've you seen that with a lot of little small chef-run places where they didn't spend a lot maybe on that, you know, that build-out <laughs> is not going to be the yeah. shiny magical thing where everybody's like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. Um, but there's this sense of, you know, there's places like Odd Duck, weird, which I remember was a pretty low budget, interesting place. And still like, I mean, they're moving now because it's like, we just need a bigger kitchen. We have been yeah. like I don't know working how they did what in this did. I was going to say, yeah, they've like, been making it, it work for a yeah. long time. But, but, a, but a big part of that was that when you went in there, A, you got, you know, if you loved food and loved something different, you got something every time. And even if it wasn't like, you know, super tested and it was new and different. It was so good because it was different, you know, and it, and it was always like, you know, 90, 90% of where it should be. Um, Look and at there La were Miranda. people there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, La Miranda amazing. violates every rule. If I every brought rule. the idea, hey, <laughs> we're going to open a restaurant, no windows, cinder block walls, we'll hang some <laughs> yeah. stuff on the walls. But, yeah. but Peter's execution with food is, he provide you know that's one where while he's not comparing it he doesn't have mm-hmm. multiple locations if you go in there and I've gone in there enough he he's doing things in such a consistent way but in a way that he can serve the food quickly get the, get those items out quickly but those items are just you know yeah. everyone you eat you're like oh my god that is amazing like mm-hmm. and well it, then you, know, you so build the customer trust and then the customers are willing to go with you on some of those more kind of weirder food adventures. You get to take more yeah. of those risks and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is but it, always... But it definitely matters, you know? I mean, you, yeah. can, do a, you can do a there's lot a woman, with the Rachel, space. Who's a, there's a woman, Rachel, who's a server there who we always you know, try and get in her section because <laughs> we went in there our, one of our first times and she just could you know, she just had such a positive energy about her that having that as a part of your experience, we, you know, I, if yeah, we have a personal connection, it's, it's nice. And, it, and it, you know, and that serves... The restaurant, it, it probably helps the money she's able to generate and the experience for the customer. It's just, you know, that is, I mean, to me, that's just an amazing thing. Like the, the cafe at the Fister, the associates that are there have been there for tens and tens of years. It's, yes. it's an amazing testimony to, you know, it, for a business that is, has such high turnover, you know, I, I, give that, I give that property a lot of credit because the environment they've created, the teamwork, the, you know, everything, you put it all together and, and it's fun to see the people who are there every day. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's beautiful because there's this, this story that comes, you know, this history and this story that everybody who works there feels a part of and yeah. makes everybody who comes in there feel a part of. Um, I don't know. There's, I, I think there's a special way to get at that in in every space, and it's just it's a cultural, it's a cultural piece, um, and that to me is the brilliance of hospitality. I, you know, I mean, I, I laugh because so, the the food is amazing, but when you keep coming back to people, I tell people a lot of t- the time. I said I love the people about my job. That is not what I expected necessarily mm-hmm. to absolutely love about this work. 
Um, but it turns out like, and without the people, you don't have any, you know, you don't know. No, and to Matt's point earlier, if you didn't, yeah. you know, people who are in this industry are drawn to it, you know, and there, I'm not, that, there's some, you know, it's like either they're, they've been in a long time and they've gotten, they, they've been through a lot and they've, yeah. you know, that's affected how they feel or someone's just a, a, a college kid who's going to only be there for a little while. But even they, there's something about that engagement that it provides. Yeah. There's something about that. And, and it's, you can't just be good food or just, you know, it's interesting. Starbucks is an example I think of. So I always loved Starbucks. I like the way, I personally like the way it tastes. Some people say it's got a burnt flavor, but I've always liked it. <laughs> yeah. And I've liked its consistency. And I always liked it, you know, they considered themselves the third space and you'd go in there and it was there was something about, hey, Dave, do you want a, do you want a regular coffee again? Okay, great. Now, with because they're so successful with their mobile app and because of the pandemic becoming so disengaged in terms of human interaction, I don't know if, any, if you've noticed, but it, it's really changed. And so I mm. still like to go in and try and get my coffee. I don't, I'm not a drive-through guy. I'm like, so I get out of my car. I'll usually order on the app, but I'll get out and go in. They don't want to talk to you. It's like, one second, sir. I'm just, I, we're just, I'll get you in a second. And, and I find it's so contrary to how their roots started. And I, I wonder how that will evolve over time in terms of maybe they're just such a behemoth and their app is so strong that they're unaffected, but, but it's lost something in my mind. Well, and I'm sure if thinking of the, the workers, I imagine like if you're taking orders no longer from people's faces and having that face-to-face interaction, instead it's become, you know, a voice in a box like McDonald's. If that's how you've been taking orders now for, a year coming up yeah. on two years now. Yeah, I imagine it's hard to kind of like get back into the groove of that, you know, the, the yeah. old service methods. Yeah. I, I think that is, yeah. uh, it'd be sad because I mean, Starbucks was that place where it was like you, it's the coffee shop where you like write, get get stuff done. Like it was like the office away from the office. And yeah. we're lucky in Milwaukee that we have a ton of good coffee shops now. Okay. Um, local ones that apparently you know, the best in the country. Apparently, yes, the, best apparently the, the best in the country. I like it. So, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I'm well, on the podcast. Well, and, it, and, and it's, a little, <laughs> it's a little crazy that way, too, because you have, I mean, Starbucks is a good example of a place that went from maybe having that more personal touch to not. And, and we also have this whole ghost kitchen, you know, concept, which I just, you know, I understand the appeal of this, you know, in terms of, the rise of delivery and that lack of, but, I, I but that cannot possibly, in my mind, replace you know what you get at a restaurant. I listened that to you your I listened to, to your, like, Baal, just, your episode on Bao and, yeah. and the dark kitchens, and I was fascinated by it because we were approached uh, by Mr. Beast to do burgers during the pandemic oh, sure. at, at AJ Bombers, and we uh, we didn't do it. We just felt like mm-hmm. we should. That wasn't. It was more of a distraction than anything for us. But I am mm-hmm. fascinated by by ghost kitchens. And and I you know I think if you have a brand you can produce in that way, but to build a brand like for example we tried to do chicken wings out of Smoke Shack and launch its own brand, uh, Smoking Wings, and it just without it existing as its own brand, who cares that it's produced in an invisible kitchen? No one knows. It might as well be because no one knows it exists. So it's a, you know it's that. But if yeah. you're but if you're Applebee's and you've already got a brand but you're somewhere where you don't have a, a store, you could still benefit from your brand and marketing. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. as a test balloon, I, I like, I see a lot of, you know, small entrepreneurs who, you know, it's kind of, they do the ghost kitchen as a test balloon to mm-hmm. see if the concept works, if it grabs people. Um, 
I forget the name of the. I think it's uh, Thai. Um, I forget the the name their name now, but I think there's been a lot of that kind of like we'll open up a ghost kitchen. We'll see if we can find an audience. See if people will be interested in this food and hopefully we can, you know, morph it into something more brick and mortar, yeah, something a yeah. little bit more permanent and personable. Yeah. I think, I think I it's interesting. I think it's interesting because I think it does save folks money and it gives people a chance to kind of get started with less overhead. Um, but it, it, but it also limits you, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think food um, halls are, to me, food halls are a, better opportunity to, to be used as a yeah. sort of testing environment because mm-hmm. at least you have customers rolling through. You're not, you're not invisible on the internet until someone decides to try, you know, so someone happens yeah. to come across your link somewhere. Cause you don't have a brand at that point. Yeah. So you really, you're not an you internet know? myth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not. And how yeah. do you become one? You know, and I think of like, uh, um, Ruby's bagels, right? So, you know, right. Ruby's, mm. Yeah, I think she's done an amazing job. And but if she were truly just a ghost kitchen, she would be invisible. But because she's at, she was at Zocalo and she was somewhere specific and existed, I feel like that really helped her build what that was. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. I and, think that's and, totally true. And I think I think without that that brand, like it's all marketing. Like it feels very, you know. Anyway. Um, yeah. we'll see, we'll see where that goes because undoubtedly, like it has definitely been successful and I think it's probably appropriate for some things, um, but it can't replace, yeah. <laughs> it just can't replace. Yeah, I, look, I don't yeah. think it'll replace, I, you know, I, I, no. we are seeing a true, we are definitely seeing a shift from, you know, uh, with more and more people taking to go uh, aside from the pandemic, a, a bunch of it is stuck. And you see, so you had restaurants basically, caught between a rock and a hard place and they want to take that to go business but uber and the companies were basically no restaurant doesn't make 30 percent on on their profit so on their sales so the idea that they were taking 30 percent off the top was like oh my god i'm not making any money but i gotta hope that there's a benefit here um and now those now with different competition and sort of how things have evolved that those rates have come down to a place where the, the restaurant can make money doing it not as much as, you know, in general, but, and that goes to the point earlier of, you know, this is a business you have to love because you didn't, you don't get in it to make a lot of money. You might get in it to ha- have a living, but your ability to to make money before the pandemic was hard. Then you add the pandemic into it um, and that challenged it. But I think there is this opportunity to, and you're seeing it, to start to redefine how restaurants work. I think restaurants are raising their prices in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing experiments with uh with adding in uh automatic gratuity mm-hmm. um and uh, you know i've i've been watching it very closely trying to understand i we put in toast recently so we really get a good look at what our averages are in terms of tips and they're basically at 20 percent. so mm-hmm. the idea of putting in an 18 percent automatic gratuity seems like it would hurt the servers i'm always trying to make sure i don't do something new and inadvertently you know make it harder Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would love to do something that, you know, it's funny that there's this odd dynamic where we pay the server and then the customer pays the server again. That's it. Um, right. <laughs> right. It's right. like, yeah. And, and some of those things I think have been long due. You know, I think, I think 100%. the prices on food, like despite the rising costs now, which have exacerbated it, like I think people have been undercharging for food for a very long time. Um, 
And you're telling me the 99 cent wing deals <laughs> yeah. at bars the was not a sustainable practice? The $2 tacos. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, you got to wonder, how are they able to serve me a yeah. hamburger, french fries, and a soda for 99 cents? How does that even Yeah, yeah the, 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 ma- the, I'm, no, I'm no economist, yeah. nor can I even pronounce the word economist, but uh, yeah. the, the math does not compute yeah. in my brain. Yeah. No. So... Yeah. It's like well, the when Movie Pass was a thing with movie theaters, and it was like we're going to oh, give you right. unlimited movies for a month for twenty dollars. It's just like this doesn't seem like that's going to work in the long run. You know, yeah. work, it, so yeah. the the company thought, oh, this will work great. Eventually, the theaters will will come along. But the theaters mm-hmm. were like, yeah, no, we don't make it up in volume. If it's not, you know, we can't just let them all come in for the same price. We still got to pay the movie companies. Yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a uh, it was an idea made mostly of fairy dust and dreams, but hey, sometimes it was a good idea. Sometimes yeah. you got to take risks and do something interesting. I think if you had the you whole know. value chain cooperating on that, it's something that yeah. could have there could have been some way to make it work. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that'll be for our movie pass podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So, David, what are you looking forward to most as things kind of move forward? That seems you know, like I, I think so. I, you know, look, I think that the opportunity to continue to do new things is, you know, what, I think that's just the most appealing thing. Whether it's opening an, an, another uh, another location of something we already have, or opening new concepts, you know, I the idea of continuing to serve this market and uh, and find ways that from the travels of the, our different you know, members of our teams have come across so many interesting things. You know, we have a slate of 10 things we'd like to do. Um, but we're also, you know, we've experienced a lot in this industry and we're very careful and we won't do a deal that is going to put us in a position that's, that's you know, will get us sideways. It doesn't mean we'll always have successes and failures, but the idea is to keep the failures from doing something that will be detrimental to continuing to move forward because the whole goal is to get up every day and continue to do this and continue to, you know, it's funny, I every morning, now with, with customer reviews, you, you get them instantaneously um, and you get them in mass. We get them consolidated. A company <laughs> yes. called Yext consolidates them. So I, I don't know whether it's worse to read them at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, but you know, I live and die <laughs> by them because I, you know, it's funny when a when a customer will say it doesn't seem like anybody cares, and I'm like, if they only knew how many people actually care, you know, it's it's interesting. But the uh, but to me, that feeling of reading a review where someone had a, just an amazing experience, or someone reaches out and they had an event at one of our locations. That's the best. And so we're, we're very excited about opening at River One. Uh, we just yeah. know that it's going to serve the market really well. And it's going to be something that's going to m- check all the boxes for myself and our team in terms of what we want to see uh, a restaurant be and something that we think we'd want to go to in 10 years in our mind and yeah. today. So, I mean, to me, if you, know, if you can't answer that question now, you shouldn't even open it because unless, you're, like, unless you know you're going to make all of your money and you know, and get all of your money out in three years. To your point about restaurants looking old or not, you know, being run down. One of the things that I, you know, I learned and I've had the benefit of is, you know, capital expenditure in your budget, setting aside money from your cash flows every month to be used down the road for reinvesting in your restaurants and reinvesting in your locations. Because if you get to the end of your ten-year lease or the end of the successful life of a flash-in-the-pan restaurant. 
you don't, you haven't, you know, you, you need to come up with the next hundred or 200 to $300,000 to invest in the next concept. So you really need to be diligent to be able to put yourself in a position so that you can keep doing that. And so, I mean, it, for me, what excites me is continuing to try and be great and, and care about your product every day and care about the team and, and then let them, you know, really, you know, my goal is to create a platform. And if you look at this, the restaurant we're opening at River One, it's a reflection of everybody's ideas. It's, it didn't just come out of one person's head. And uh, the design, you know, the tea, it's, it's fun to be in those meetings together and come up with ideas, whether it's the name Benson's or, how, you know, the concept or what we're going to do that, I mean, just engaging in the process. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, thank you for what you do, for the effort that you put in, um, you know, for being one of the people that are really passionate about giving people those experiences because um, this is this is not the easiest work, <laughs> you know, as we've said. It's not the work where you're going to make, you know, um, the most money of anything, um, but it's definitely, it's, it's kind of, it's life-changing work in its own way, you know. I mean, restaurants are places where people go to celebrate, well, to mourn, to, I don't know, to do all the things. Um, I agree. So it's no, really, thank really, you. Really, Look, yeah. I appreciate the opportunity. As you can tell, I do love this business. Uh, you know, you have to make money and be successful so you can keep operating every day. Um, but there's, there, but there is nothing more rewarding. And I've been involved with a lot of different kinds of businesses. But when someone tells you they've had an emotional or they've had a great experience and they're in there, they oh, they love the way something tastes, or they're they're disappointed you took it off the menu because it was their favorite item. There's just there's something great. There's a great feeling about that. And life is, you know, life the 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 journey is the destination. So you better enjoy the ride along the way because you don't actually ever get to the place you think you're going to get to. Or if you get there, you pass it quickly by and you're on to the next road. So. Yeah. To me, yeah. outside all this business, and and life is life is a weird winding path, and you never know quite what direction you're gonna yeah you're gonna end up in. So yeah, yeah you might end well, no, up on this you. podcast. Yeah, yeah. thank yeah, you no. so much for joining yeah. us today, and also thank you for the awesome art behind you this entire time. Yes. The <laughs> pizza in both hands painting yes. is uh, is or is a hall it's of a famer. Cool, cool retro sort of yeah. That's all and, from Zafiro's Pizza. Oh, yeah. that is, that's what that's for. Oh, I love that. That's cool. Yeah. For those who, since this is not a visual medium, it's a, like an old school yeah. comic, like 1940s looking thing with a guy holding two pieces in, of pizza in both hands with the caption, pizza in both hands. It's outstanding. Yeah. A balanced diet. Oh, I see. Oh. Pizza oh. A balanced diet, pizza in both hands. That's, yeah. That is... That is excellent and will need to be in my house immediately. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I'll send yes. you over. Oh, thank you. Uh, I will, thank you for joining us on this podcast, especially uh, since I was getting mauled by my dog for approximately 20% of it. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And where can people read more about Benson's? And where can people find out more about Benson's and the various restaurants? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Benson's Restaurant Group, if you just Google that online, you can click right in. You can read about AJ Bomber's Smoke Shack, Onesto's, Zafiro's Pizza, um, and everything we're working on, and anything that's coming. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you well, again one more time. Yeah. And no, we thank look you both. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, thank you, guys. What an awesome conversation. I got to brag about making soup in front of a real restaurateur. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
no, no. He thinks I, I knows a lot about soup now. He does. <laughs> what a yeah. nice thing. That's super cute. <laughs> David Marcus is actually just a really nice guy. Um, I've I had find a couple all of the, in-person conversations with him, and he's just... All yeah. the Marcuses I've met have been very nice and wonderful, so... Uh, they do all seem really nice and wonderful, yeah. you know. And, and I'm not and, just saying that because way, they gave me my way, first job. <laughs> <laughs> but And way, way, way down to earth. Um, I've never worked for them, so, you know. Yeah. And, and we all have, I think, assumptions about, about how, like, corporate restaurants operate. Um, but corporate restaurants generally are run by people who, like people and the business as much as anyone so yeah um it's pretty that's pretty cool and i am really excited about that new harbor very much so very Um, much so just because i think that the vision for that entire property there is just going to change so much about that that's that really just junky (laughs) space (laughs) it used to just be a junky space i mean there was there were boat there were places for boats to dock but like it was just junky and I can't wait. Um, and I hope it. I hope it kind of puts pressure on the area. Like you know, the Lincoln Warehouse could use some sprucing, and the, um, there's just there's some some improvements that could go on down there. Yeah, and I think that you know this will I, definitely help that along. You know what I'm excited about, Lori? What a food porn! <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There you go. So uh, today's food porn. I'll read this one. All right. Uh, All this right. is get ready for a lot of peas. Uh, it's appetite written by Paul mm. Ann Peterson. Mm. And I really pop the peas and appetite by Paul Ann Peterson. Uh, yeah. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead. Yeah. There's whining. Uh, it is my dog being a little grumpus. And not liking the food porn. He's, you are not being a very helpful podcast partner today, Charlie. <laughs> I love you. He's looking at me very adoringly. And he has be, a little bow tie. Be sweet, Charlie. Be sweet, Charlie. We be just got a couple more minutes. Yeah. All right. So here's Appetite by Paul Ann Peterson. Pale gold and crumbling with crust mottled dark, almost bronze, pieces of honeycomb lie on a plate. Reflect with the pale paper of hive, their hexagonal cells leak into the deepening pool of amber. On your lips, against palate, tooth and tongue, the viscous sugar squeezes from its chambers, sears sweetness into your throat until you chew pulp and wax from a blue city of beads. Between your teeth is the blown flower and the flower's seed. Passport pages stamped and turning. That's the machine. Sorry, I'm going to And everything is interrupted by puppy kisses. Everything is puppy kisses. Clunk. Hi, You've everyone. just been destroyed. Destroyed by puppy kisses. I have been so. mauled by love and affection and maybe a dog who needs to go out. So I'll so. take yeah. this dog outside quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start again from the oh, beginning funny. of the... Charlie, oh! Good oh. oh, boy. That's All right. Funny. Anyways, Appetite by Paul Ann Peterson. 
Where was I? All right. I'll start it again. This time without a puppy mole. Pale gold and crumbling with crust mottled dark, almost bronze. Pieces of honeycomb lie on a plate. Flecked with the pale paper of hive, their hexagonal cells leak into the deepening pool of amber. On your lips, against palate, tooth and tongue, the viscous sugar squeezes from its chambers, sears sweetness into your throat until you chew pulp and wax from a blue city of bees. Between your teeth is the blown flower and the flower seed. Passport pages stamped and turning, death's officious hum. Both the candle and its antler, anther of flame. Your own yellow hunger. Never say you can't take this world into your mouth. That's true. I mean, I, I'm always saying you can <laughs> take this world into your mouth. <laughs> So, I don't know. I thought it. I thought it was nice. It's just, a good piece. Just one. Yeah. All yeah. right, Lori. Before my dog attacks me one more time, uh, what is your Twitter? Where yes. can people find you on the social medias? <laughs> yes. Um, whoa. People can find me at Low Frederick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, you can also find the Food Crush podcast on all of those platforms at Food Crush Pod. Um, and please do follow us you know, Facebook and Instagram because um, we have a slightly different content there than here. Yeah. And how about you? Mr. Oh, you Matt? can find me at a man about film on Facebook and Twitter and on Instagram where you can find photos of my tasty soup. Uh, right, yeah. Is there photos of your tasty soup now? I have posted right. photo of the paper. I'm going to go and look. I've done it. I posted I'm a photo of the tasty soup. Go look soup. at your tasty soup. When I expect- I'm doing the yeah. gram, everybody. It's happening. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, thank you to Benson's for their time today. And as always, keep cooking. <laughs>